It is March 5th, 1936. We are live at the Biltmore Hotel in beautiful downtown Los Angeles where crime is not a thing. <laughs> and it is the 8th annual Academy Awards honoring the films of 1935. It's now time for the big award of the evening. Drum roll, please. Brrr. Best picture award goes to... Mutiny on the Bounty. Actually, it's outstanding production. I don't right. know if I should be like really <laughs> technical about... What the names That's of true. these awards are. I will say, I'm very glad they did change it to Best Picture. It's that funny kind of... because all the other awards are still best. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. At this point in time, the only thing that has the word outstanding in it is the, the, big is the one. Best Picture award. The main one. Outstanding production. Best Picture just makes more sense to me. I don't know. It does. And if you have Best Actress, you should have Best yeah. Picture. It's just interesting that it was different for a while. For a long time. And I still think that people probably, like, colloquially, which is... A really great word. I have to really sound out. I bet you, like, that's what they still probably called it. Probably. One Best Picture. And they just eventually changed it to officially be that. Definitely, yeah. It just makes more sense. It it sounds like a better ring to it, you know? The Best Picture of the Year. The Best Picture of the Year. Oh, we are. We got, we got a, we got a, we got quite a year. We got quite a year. We got quite a year in us. It is. 1935. Yes. Um, Some big is, hitters this year. We're already to the eighth Oscars. Oh, man, it feels like just yesterday <laughs> that we were <laughs> that we were watching silent movies. We were watching silent movies. So but much here has we changed. are. This year is uh, this year is is uh, interesting. Uh, it's the last year that a movie wins Best Picture but doesn't win any other Oscars. Literally anything else. It also, Mutiny on the Bounty had the most nominations. Too. To that point, right? How many did you yeah. get? Seven? Eight. Eight? Eight wow. nominations. Um, including the uh, coveted... Uh, Oh no! It didn't have a best assistant director nomination. I just wanted to make fun of. The oh my be- goodness! Yeah, I wanted to make fun of the best assistant director category. I was hoping it was nominated, but <laughs> whoever the assistant director was for *Meeting on the Bounty* was robbed. How do you even judge best <laughs> assistant director? Apparently, like, he wasn't up to snuff enough to be like nominated in the assistant director category. I don't even know what. I, did I don't like, understand. Well, the that. lives of Bengal Lancer uh, won. Best Two assistant. of them won. It looks like it, right. It's Clem Bochamp. And Paul Wing. I don't think it's Bochamp. I think I re- I mispronounced that. I think it's Clem. Uh, Bochamp? No. <laughs> is that what it is? I'm like trying to read it too. I think it's Beecham. Oh, yeah. gotcha. There's a... Uh, well, we there's are a murdering f- your name, sir. I'm very sorry. There's a film critic named Carrie Beecham. And that's the only reason I know that. Because Maybe I, related? Because I've seen her speak at something. Mm. So thank you, Carrie be- Beecham, for teaching me the proper pronunciation of Bochamp. <laughs> but they were some, like, I, we could just talk the whole episode about their assistant direction skills. We could. It's, I am, does it, I wonder, do you know who the assistant director was for Mutiny on the Bounty? Did you they know, even have one? I, I, I'm sure every production yes. has one. But what do you, do they like look at the call sheets and think like, oh, he, he did a good job organizing the extras. Like what well, a, maybe, maybe <laughs> like the, the head director would like submit them and be like, hey, my assistant director was really, really good. You should consider him. But it's also maybe? like, it's not really an artistic category. That's what's so weird about it. That's true. I mean, you have director. Like you can judge writing. You can judge cinematography. True. Like you how, yeah, what would you judge? How do you judge assistant, assistant director? Direct- There's nothing on screen that mm. would you know what I'm saying? Because I feel like the outstanding director kind of already encompasses all of those below him who are directing. Yeah, you know I, I mean? would agree with that. Well, just like, you know, a 
costume designer. Yeah, all the scene I mean, like they had them. exactly. They're not the only person in the costume no. department. And I feel like if you're going to give an award for best director, that um, guy or girl mm-hmm. is going to be judged on how well they direct their assistants as well. Yeah, no, you know? and everybody. I mean, everybody who's a high-level person on a set has an assistant, so it's just so weird. True, yeah. That How long did this category stay around? Just if, let's see. It wasn't I, much longer, was it? It was... I will tell you, it, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, five years. Five years, okay. Um, so for five years, they had the category. It was suspended after the awards for the 1937. We're going to cover, we'll... we'll we will we'll be done with this category very soon. Very soon. So that's probably fine. <laughs> yeah, I think I I think I'm okay with Simplifies that. Simplifies it a little bit. This is also speaking of weird categories. This mm-hmm. uh, I this category is a little less weird. I will say. Um, they best dance direction was given for right. 35, 36, and 37. So just just this is the first year this is given. It's only given for two more ceremonies. And I wonder if that was introduced just because in like the 30s, especially the earlier 30s, there were so many musicals being made. Yeah, no. It makes sense, I feel, in the 30s. It would have made sense in the 40s. Especially, yeah, I guess the 50s too, yeah. Yeah, there were so many musicals being made at that time that... And I, I mean, like, Dance Direction, apparently the DGA eventually worked to get that out. The Directors Guild eventually worked to get that out of contention because... They were uh, jealous. I guess they were jealous. But it seems as if, <laughs> like, a, the direction of a dance is not the same thing as the direction of a film. That's just, Absolutely not. It's if like I a choreography a movie, award, Yeah, basically. if I had a, were to direct a movie and, like, it involved choreography, I would have no idea what to do. It's, so respect to them. You know, like, there are many gay stereotypes that I fit very squarely into absolutely my dancing skills don't <laughs> are not part of that <laughs> oh man and like I, I never look straighter than when I try to dance oh man just <laughs> so embarrassing I'm like one of those people who has to like snap their fingers when they dance and you know what I mean sway oh my gosh you know? if anybody ever records me dancing you will have blackmail material yeah no don't 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 do that to us. <laughs> Just like ask us something about a movie, make us look smart. Exactly. But uh, this is a choreography award, basically that is only mm-hmm. around for three years. Broadway Melody of Thirty Six won it this year, nineteen thirty six. Good for them. Um, which is a quasi sequel to a Best Picture that we that we discussed. Covered. And I bet you Broadway Melody of Thirty Six is more enjoyable than Broadway probably. Well, I mean, they they must have known what they were doing a little bit better. It's interesting. Broadway Melody of 1936 came out in 1935. Yeah, very, very, very strange. Yeah. But uh, 1935, uh, we have a bunch of Best Picture nominees this year. A bunch? How many? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12 of them. 12? Good gracious. 12. I feel bad for the number 11 because you just skipped over it. Oh, I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the other numbers got included yeah, right? and just like win my... It's like I saw 11 and 12 at the same time, so it just jumped to 12. Let's 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 talk about these. So Broadway let's Melody of, thir- of 1936 is one of them. One of them? Um, Alice Adams. Ooh, Catherine Hepburn. Which is a big Catherine Hepburn movie. If I'm not mistaken, that's Catherine Hepburn and uh, good old um, 
Fred McMurray as the course of co-star. Oh, I do love Fred. I McMurray. do love Fred McMurray. Was it uh, another George Cukor film as well? Uh, Did he direct it? It, I believe, yes, yes. I think so, right? Yes, George Stevens. George Stevens, another oh, big director. That's right. Yes, George yes. Stevens did this one. Yes, yes, that's uh, right. This is. Uh, she also gets a Best Actress nomination for this as well. And I've heard. Um, I have not seen the movie, but I've heard from a lot of people that this is one of her better earlier films better than morning glory which she won the oscar for yeah i um, think a lot of that this. probably has to do with like just the technology and the yeah. the movies it, getting better movies getting better but um Alice Adams is supposed to be one of the preeminent Catherine Hepburn movies, and I uh, have seen quite a few, but not this one. Not this one. Um, I've seen all of... No, I haven't. I haven't seen The Lion in Winter yet. Oh my god! I know, I know. I'll okay. fix that by the time we get to 68. <laughs> I'll watch it. I'll watch it before we cover that uh, ceremony. That movie is so good. No, that and... That might be... I, the pinnacle Catherine Hepburn. It's so Catherine Hepburn. It's like, you can't even imagine anybody else playing that role. It's no. so perfect. Well, I mean, she's... Uh, um, okay, so we got Captain Blood. I've seen Captain Blood. Captain is Blood. Is that Olivia de Havilland? It's the first pairing of Olivia de Havilland and uh, Errol Flynn. Oh, and they made uh, eight movies a together. Lot. And a lot of them were swashbuckling movies, it's right? basically like, you know, he's uh, he's a pirate or he's a... Uh, um, uh, Robin Hood mm. in one of them, and she's made Marion. And uh, Captain Blood is one of the better ones. Oh, um, it's uh, it's really good. It has great music. I remember that much. Um, and uh, and their chemistry is just fantastic. That's and probably why they made so many movies. They're both so beautiful. I was gonna say Errol Flynn just sign me up. I mean, really, it's, what a beautiful man. It's just like. Anyway. They would make pretty babies. They would. Uh, <laughs> David Copperfield, uh, David Oselznick there making his... <laughs> David Oselznick just loves to make famous novels. Into humongous into movies. Into big movies. But sure does. <laughs> we'll get there in a couple years. We will. Um, the Informer. I've mm. also seen The Informer. It's a John Ford's first Best Director Oscar. Yes. He would get four of those. Sure. The most of any director. So he wins his first Oscar this year. Uh, the Informer, I thought was okay. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I, I've heard. It's I very don't want to watch it again. It's very stagey. Yeah, because it's off. Of, it's based off of a play. It feels like a play. Yeah. Did so. Victor McLagan also won Best Actor for this movie. Was he in the original play version of it? I don't know, I don't know that actually. I, you know, but I I bet you. It would make sense. I mean, back then I feel like a lot of the actors who did the role on Broadway did end up. Um, they bring them over. Yes, at least a few of them would be, be a crossover. We saw that with Cavalcade. A lot of the actors yeah. were brought over um, for the movie adaptation of that. Um, so yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he was also in that. I don't see any info on that being the case. I don't. I don't. Uh, I see that the Informer was based on a novel, um, and uh, I'm going on a wiki. Y'all are going with me. On are this, we diving into are, Wikipedia? Just diving on this Wikipedia, clicking on some blue <laughs> hyperlinks. Um, actually, it seems Maybe that it's just based on a novel. Oh, really? It's not a play? No, it just feels oh. like one. Well, don't listen to me. My information is very incorrect. Well, you know, we just say what we hear. The lives of <laughs> of true. a Bengal lancer, uh, which I I don't know what that is, it, but it, it kind of sounds interesting. I'm a little intrigued. A Midsummer's Night's Dream, which mm. is like. Uh, one of the more famous adaptations yes. of, of it. it is and this film, one, like, cinematography, it won a lot of the, like, um... Which the cinematography win is interesting because it's the only time a write-in nomination won. 
And that was an Oscar. Yeah. This movie? This was the last time they allowed write-ins after the big controversy we talked about on last episode with Betty Davis. With Betty Davis, yeah. Um, they allowed write-ins again this year, and Midsummer's Night Dream won for cinematography on a write-in vote. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, it is a really pretty film. Uh, but it is interesting, too, because there's a lot of uh, big Warner Brothers stars in that movie. Right. Um, including uh, Jimmy Cagney and a uh, very young Mickey Rooney, who would go to MGM later. Uh, Dick Powell. And it's the film debut of Olivia Havilland. I was going to say, and Olivia's in that, too. Wow, she was in two. She actually became a star because she was appearing in a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream at the Hollywood Bowl. And was cast in the movie based off of that. And that, and if she, that had not happened, she was going to, after she was done performing over the summer in Midsummer Night's Dream, she was just going to go back up to NorCal, where she was from. And, um, and bond with her sister. And <laughs> she had a teaching scholarship. Oh, wow. To teach acting or to teach? No, to just to, just she, to teach. She was going to go and... A grade school. Go and get an education degree and, oh. and become a, uh, you know, like elementary school teacher. Good for her. Yeah. Um, Very interesting. Yeah, totally. Um, so, that never happened. Um, Les Miserables. Oh, God. There's so many versions of this. So many versions of it. And like, do we need versions of this? No. I, I am personally not a fan <laughs> of Les Mis. I, I tolerate the Broadway musical because the music is so good, but it's so long. Mm. It's, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not a what, fan. Do you want to guess, let's, how long do, you th- do we think this version was? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's got to be at least, um, I guess it'd be at least two hours and ten minutes. Watch, it's like 90 minutes. It's 109. Oh, what? I know. Well, you know, that's the version I want to. But it's probably because there's no music in this version. It's probably just the story, so so it makes it so much shorter. Well, maybe I would like this one then. Then we got Naughty Marietta. Ooh, sounds like my kind of film. I mean, Marietta. (laughs) What have you been doing? Uh, That's uh, Jeanette McDonald, um, who was uh, in Nelson Eddy. Who were the big like operatic singing stars at the time? Oh sure. And then we got Ruggles of Red Gap, which I've heard is really really good. Mm. Um, and then Top Hat, which is uh, one of the Fred and Ginger <sighs> and that's movies. a good movie. It, it's a delightful film. Top Hat is really really good. I don't know if Top Hat's the type of movie I would say is a Best Picture winner though. No, I guess I wouldn't either. Um, no, but it's it's a delight to watch. Um, otherwise, this year, as you mentioned, Victor McLaughlin. One best actor, uh, Betty Davis won best actress. Uh, Betty's first Oscar win. This is interesting because uh, the year before there had been a lot of controversy when she wasn't nominated for *A Human Bondage*, and it led to the write-in situation. Uh, she didn't win, uh, but uh, she always viewed this Oscar for *Dangerous* as a makeup Oscar. Totally. Um, and it's a it's a decent performance and a decent movie, but as a huge Betty Davis fan. There are uh, much better performances to come. <laughs> Which we will definitely get into. <laughs> well, we'll talk about, regardless if she's nominated, we'll just talk about oh, her yes. for, for funsies. For years to come. Um, and uh, other than that, you know, we're getting a more well-rounded uh, number of categories now. We, we have, it, it feels like we almost have a full slate. And once we get rid of this dance direction and assistant director business, we'll be, we'll be in business. We'll be in business. <laughs> and it's the, also the last year before we add the supporting actor categories. Which is going to come into play when we start talking about Mutiny on the Bounty, the Best Picture winner. It is. It is. This is, um, 
the most interesting aspect, and we're going to probably be weaving in and out of this throughout, mm-hmm. um, there were only four official nominees mm-hmm. uh, for Best Actor. The yes. one who is not in Mutiny on the Bounty won, but Clark Gable, Charles Lawton, and Fran Tone were all nominated for Best Actor. From and Mutiny, yeah. It's a, apparently that had something to do with the next year supporting categories being nominated. Totally, and that makes perfect sense because uh, Fran Tone... Great performance, but it's not a leading performance. It mm-hmm. probably should have been, um, you know, would have been, been a, a better fit in the supporting actor category. He probably would have won supporting actor, too. Absolutely he would Which, have. Which, let's just go ahead and get into it. Mutiny on the Bounty. Um, Mutiny on the Bounty is a famed story in the history of folklore mm-hmm. um, about a late 1700s incident where uh, a... Uh, British Navy ship, yep, um, which was being uh, run by uh, Captain Bly. Captain Bly. Captain Bly. Uh, he was overtaken by his uh, uh, subordinate mm-hmm. uh, Fletcher Christian, who yes. has a great name. That's a great Let's name. Let's just say it's, so it's a great name. Fletcher Christian. I do and like that. it was very controversial. Um, in real life, uh, apparently Captain Bly was not as awful as the adaptations seem to make him. Right. And uh, what ended up happening is kind of similar to what ends up happening in this movie where he ends, where Fletcher Christian goes and hides out on an island. Mm -hmm. Um, And after we talked about the movie, I read some information about this island and... Oh, good. I I want to tell you about it, but let's talk about... Oh, good. Let's talk about the movie itself. There's In the movie, there I should also mention, I believe he's a composite of a real-life person, but Franchot Tone mm-hmm. uh, plays a character that didn't exist in real life, but apparently there was somebody who did exist with a different name. Sure. Um, and I don't recall what the real-life person's name was, but he did. Uh, and at the end of the movie, his character... Uh, kind of testifies and he's going to be condemned to death for mm-hmm. uh, treason for overtaking the ship but he ends up being saved right that really happened but oh, it was it happened okay. to a different person for some reason they changed his name <laughs> gotcha um <laughs> anyway movies movies uh, um the first note that i wrote down about this movie is yeah. that i really liked it i really liked it too i really, I really liked enjoyed it. this movie yes it's, I, it's yes. so exciting it's it is like a big budget MGM film and it's actually worth your time like it's everything kind of falls into place it's entertaining very entertaining and one of the things that I wrote down I don't know where I wrote it down but I I wrote down that I was so surprised that this didn't win best film editing Um, sure yeah there's a lot of great shots great cutting yes especially in the beginning when they're getting the ship ready to go and you're getting all these like uh, very fast cuts from people you know bringing up the sails and uh, moving things around here they're close up to their faces you know it it makes you really really excited and the close up lasts like a split second yeah it's like it's to like show you yes you know like that very um, I don't know like frenzied atmosphere of what it's like to be on a ship for a movie that's two hours and ten minutes long it doesn't feel two hours and ten minutes long definitely not um, and, uh, I don't, I like, I kept trying, I couldn't find a lot of information on how they did the special effects for this film. True. But outside of a few rear projection shots, there was, there was a lot of times I was 
thinking like, how the hell did they do that? Very true. You know, yeah. like because it looked like they were actually in the ocean in for the a ocean. great deal of the movie. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's I, there was one scene in particular that I read a lot about. It was the scene where um, after um, Charles Lawton, who plays Captain Bly, is um, thrown off the boat on a little boat with uh, other members of the crew that didn't want to mutiny. Um, And they're trying to make it back to England to start over. Which they have to go over 3,500 miles. Miles, yeah. Which really happened. Again, this stuff really happened. Yeah, this is actually true. That's why I was like, oh my gosh, this is insane. Yeah. Um, I had read that all of those scenes, because you see them... Um, overcoming uh, humongous storms out mm-hmm. there. They run out of food. They run out of water. It's like yeah. they're almost going to die. And it's a really cool sequence And to there's watch. a couple of actors in this sequence who really look emancipated. I was worried for their yes. lives. Yeah. And here's what I'd read. That Not Charles all... Lawton, but... <laughs> exactly. No, no, no. <laughs> Never will he ever. Um, what was interesting is I'd read that that was mostly filmed in a soundstage so they could have the control over what they were doing. Yeah. Uh, but when they were filming it, they almost finished all the sequences, which took days and days and days. And then the director, Frank Lloyd, realized that one of the actors who had been in these scenes wasn't supposed to be there. So they had to refilm everything. No. Yes. From the beginning. No. So at the very end of that scene, when they finally reach the uh, reach land, and you see Charles Lawton say, "We've made it," and he starts crying. Apparently, those were actual tears. They were so happy they were finally done filming that scene that they all started crying. <laughs> well, apparently, this shoot was really tough for Charles Lawton um, because you know he's playing this. Uh, you know, like they they make uh, Captain Bly into a a real to, asshole to a real awful person. Although I will say that it, he still comes across very layered in the way that Charles Lawton. Oh, definitely. Plays this him. is Charles Lawton, in my opinion, his best performance. It's so good. He's 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 so good the whole movie. Like he definitely. Is, he, if I was going to give one of the three actors nominated for best actor I would give it to him definitely and like Clark um, Gable I understand he's a huge star but and Clark Gable's always appealing and he's always great he's design. always great but yeah but definitely Clark I think, Gable yes I think Charles Lawton acts circles around Clark Gable in this movie yeah no if we're gonna give Clark Gable another best actor award that's that's coming up in a few years <laughs> that'll come um, <laughs> very true <laughs> but uh, but no um, it's oh, this is the only this is the last time we see Clark Gable without a mustache which is interesting that's true. Uh, he couldn't oh. have one because it wasn't correct for the period. For the period, It's yeah. funny how they go to all the detail work on what they're supposed to look like and all the costumes and all those things, and yet it's so few people attempt a British accent. Um. Yes, and honestly, it's probably for the better. You know, sometimes... I don't Because, like, what's, what's better, what's worse? Having an actor do a terrible British accent and, like, it takes you out of yeah. the performance? Or just having them not do it at all, even if it's not appropriate... Sometimes that's the lesser of two evils. <laughs> I feel like it's maybe the last couple decades where that really even became like a, a thing. A thing. Yeah. And still like and still they, they we still make movies that take place in places that don't speak English, but we have people speak English <laughs> um, all the time. All the time. Um, which is just because you're making an English language movie and there are people in those like you know, like uh, when you have uh one of the like people speaking in a British accent when they're in France, you right. know, it's it's things like, like that. They're like close enough, <laughs> like, kind of the baguettes. Hurry up! <laughs> um, <laughs> um, very true. But I feel like uh, <laughs> I feel like um, 
I feel like, you know, within a couple minutes, you accept the fact that some people are doing a British accent, some people have a British accent, some people don't give a shit. You just get through it. True. (laughs) It's it's a little bit of a suspension of disbelief. What was I talking about? I was talking about Charles Lawton, his performance. Yes. It was a hard role for him. Oh, yeah. He was very intimidated by Clark Gable. Um, Because, in case you don't know, Charles Lawton was a flaming homosexual. Big old gay boy. Big old gay boy. Um, he had a what they called a lavender marriage with Elsa Lanchester. Oh, right, 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 right. Um, yes. Who in 1935 has her big break because that's when they made The Bride of Frankenstein. Oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah. Oh, incredible. This is a big year for both of them. It was a big year for both of them, but in separate beds. Correct. Probably um, separate houses. Probably separate houses. Um, but uh, <laughs> apparently there was like a point where during when they were filming The Ocean, like there was a point... Where something happened and they lost them, like on one of the little ships or something. Oh I don't gosh. know. There was something. I, I'm not getting that detail correct, but sure. apparently they thought that he had died and they called her and she was in like New York or London and they called her to let her know that he was that her husband had passed away. Passed away. Oh my and then gosh. a few hours later, like call back and like just kidding. That is so. <laughs> That is so rude. Oh my gosh. I'm so let's confirm. Let's just not tell the spouse, right? I mean, like, really, we don't have a body. You Goodness sakes, because that would kind of make sense. I'd read too that um, Charles Lawton, this was a hard rule for him, again, because he was terrified of the sea and, like, the ocean, and oh, he yeah. got violently sick yeah. while filming a lot of these scenes. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of it was filmed in the actual ocean. Some of it, I should say. Not all of it. But... So you can imagine, like, you're, you're feeling sick to your stomach, which makes you feel even grosser as you're standing next to the guy that's supposed to be, like, the sexiest guy in the world. Absolutely. Who, yeah. like, hates everything you choose to be. <laughs> yeah. Oh, who is a huge homophobe. <laughs> exactly. Which, sorry. Which is upsetting. Clark Gable's beautiful, and I will... I'll just accept that he lived in a different time. Yes, you kind of have to. If a he time. was in today, or maybe he was, like... Maybe it's just because he secretly liked boys a little bit. And Maybe. he just needed the right boy to... I'm not starting a rumor. Right. I'm just saying, We're just like, saying that. I wouldn't have said no. I'm not... <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have turned down the gable. Also, French Tone, I wouldn't turn him down either. Oh, French Tone's beautiful. He's really pretty. He's really pretty in this movie, There's too. a little bit of a... Th- a th- chemistry between him and Clark okay, Gable. Okay, you saw, you felt it too. I, I did too. There are little scenes on the island. I was like, hmm. Like when they lay down little... shirtless on the island yes. and, then, and then their wives join them. Right, 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 right. Oh, which we the should right, talk the wives about. wives who don't speak English. We should talk about during the course of the movie, mm. um, there's a whole section where the whole point of this trip is to uh, get uh, some goods from Tahiti right. that they're taking to uh, a British colony. Right. Um, I, where they ta- they're taking it somewhere specific. Anyway, um, yeah. uh, but uh, they're getting some goods from Tahiti. They stay there for a few months as they're loading up the ship, and um, during that time, both uh, Fletcher Christian and Franchot Tone's character end up falling in love with native little island girls. Island girls, <laughs> who I will say, one of them is played by somebody who is half Mexican, and the other one is played by someone who was Hawaiian. Which means they are still uh, of a different race or mixed race, Mm -hmm. which is not something you saw a lot. And technically at this point in time, the intermingling of the races was something that was very strictly forbidden by the production code. So, Oh, wow. I didn't know that. uh, uh, Yeah. So it's interesting that that is depicted, I guess, because it was historical. They allowed it. They allowed it. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, that's good. I mean, we're going to see... And I'm glad they got somebody... They didn't get white girls to play well, that. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, ugh, I will I will say, one of the... <laughs> an example of where that goes really wrong would be in um, The Letter with Betty Davis when Gail Sondergaard is playing... Who we get to talk about in a we, couple of years. We sure will. <laughs> oh, gosh. Because where are they in The Letter? She plays... I mean... They, they're in... Uh, where are they? Malaysia. That's what it is. And she yeah. plays, like, this Malaysian, like... Mother or something? I can't remember what she's her... She's the I, wife of the she, guy that Betty Davis kills in the right. letter. And it's a... It is... Um, I mean, like, no... no, Not saying anything against Gail Sondergaard. I'm just saying that the way that they right. present that character is uh, very stereotypical, and it's a white yes. person playing. Absolutely. And so like, it's like, by today's standards, it's incredibly it's racist. And really, yes, yeah. and it's really kind of... Very, you know, you watch it and you're like, whoa, this isn't right. Yeah. You know, but, you know, it's back in... thankfully not the whole movie, so it's No, it's not. not. She's very small part in yeah. that movie. I just actually just recently saw her in another movie, too. She's in a lot of She's films lot of from this period. Um, always, like, in supporting roles. Yes. But she... Like just watched. She was she very was in... busy. Well, she's in, in a her. movie that we're going to be talking about in a couple years. Oh. And by you... couple years, I mean... Next year? Uh, she's in the she's in Life of Mil Zola. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say. Wait, I just saw her in something. That is absolutely accurate. Yes, she is. And she wins an Oscar in thirty six, which we'll talk which about we'll that. Talk about. But we, but you know, Beauty on the Bounty really it right. it is a. It's just like an exceptionally well made movie. I think that's Very the reason well it it feels. It's interesting that Frank Lloyd directed it. To me, yeah, he had quite a few years of like doing big movies because he did Simmer- yeah, not Samurai, ah, Cavalcade, um, and a- Cavalcade. We we both enjoyed it more than we thought we were going to, but that Correct. movie two years prior to Mutiny on the Bounty feels so much more dated than this does. Absolutely, you know, amazing because since this is a movie, um, you know, of the action adventure epic genre, it's mm-hmm. just a more exciting movie to watch and maybe he's just he seems okay I will say this Frank Lloyd seems better equipped at directing this movie than he did directing Cavalcade yeah which is bizarre because he won his Oscar for Cavalcade when he probably should have won an Oscar for this movie no I I, it's it's confusing I wonder I'm sure he part of the reason he didn't win the Oscar is just that whole thing in your head like well he won one so we're gonna honor this guy who hasn't won one but um I, I, I like I, I don't understand how this movie uh, didn't win best adaptation uh, didn't win uh, best scoring the musical score is great oh it's really really good um, and honestly even best actor but I feel like it's one of those cases too where since there were three people nominated for this movie they all probably split the vote a little bit mm-hmm. which allowed Victor McLagan to kind of slide in and take the award. Because yeah. I'll be honest. I mean, I know that um, Charles Lawton won an Oscar only a few years ago. Two what, two years ago? Two years ago. Um, but this could have easily been his second Oscar. And he's a person who is such a powerhouse performer. Yes. And commands a, commands a scene in a way that nobody does. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for being, you know, an unusual looking person. Yes. Who is not like... 
who's not fit, who's not He's not your typical Hollywood star no. like Clark Gable, which is why I think this movie really works, too. You have these very different, mm-hmm. not even just different looking leading men, but also just very different personalities. And I think, you know, since they did kind of hate each other, it really worked in their characters as well because these oh, two characters yeah. hate each other, too. Yeah, yeah. Which I really think just added to it. Maybe that was something that Frank Lloyd knew. He, I mean, maybe he knew that... Clark Gable was a bit of a homophobe. Let's cast him, and that'll create some tension on the set, which will only add to their performances. Well, that wouldn't be the first time. I'm sure it would not. Clark Gable was probably the first person they threw in there, though, because true. I had because read that he was such a big star. Big star. I had yeah. read that um, Wallace Beery was originally offered the role of Captain Bly, but he turned it down because he hated Clark Gable so much and did not want to be on location and with him for as many months as they were. That's interesting. You know, those we we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about MGM in the episodes to come. Uh, this is an MGM movie. Uh, Clark Gable was under contract at MGM. Uh, he was in It Happened One Night as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he will be in another Best Picture winner in a few years. Yes. So he's in a bunch of them. He kind of owned uh, the 30s. He did own the 30s. Uh, but MGM also made uh, Grand Hotel, and they made Broadway Melody, and uh, next week we'll be talking about uh, The Great Zigfield, mm-hmm. which was um, a uh, MGM movie, and then uh, before the decade's over, they'll, they got Gone with the Wind, um, and then in the 40s they have several, in the 50s they have several. Yes. MGM um, really kind of establishes them, themselves by the mid-30s as this preeminent studio definitely and, and definitely a studio of prestigious films you know people mm-hmm. the, the films that people take very seriously and they they're slick and definitely. they're and they look expensive because they are expensive yes. <laughs> i had also read that like this was this was mgm's most expensive movie at that time it cost them about two million dollars uh to make which you know by today's standard is enormous amount of money and if they're like this movie has some stuff that was Shot on location that was shot in the ocean. Oh, true. And also on Catalina Island, which I think is so funny. <laughs> yeah, on Catalina. Did you... Okay, I had read something. I'm going to wrong. I just, Go ahead, what? Real quickly. Can you hear the word Catalina with not, without thinking about Natalie Wood? Because I can't. Oh, my goodness. Now <laughs> I can't. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, I, th- I hear Catalina. I immediately think of Natalie Wood. Oh, Natalie I know, it's Wood. sad. Anyway. Um, I had read that... Um, Oh, wait, maybe we're done. I don't want to get this wrong. It was something to do with uh, them filming on the island. Mm-hmm. Joan Crawford was also filming on the island. There was a bit of an overlap. She was filming somewhere else, and she would visit Clark Gable um, when they were on location over there, and they would get a little frisky. Which is funny, <laughs> because, uh, you know, she was married at the time. She was. She sure was. Do you know who she was married to? Rancho Tone. That's correct. They got married in 1935. There you go. She was done with uh, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., <laughs> and so she moved to Franchot Tone, but she did have, reportedly had quite the affair over the years with Clark Gable. Mm-hmm. They made several movies together at MGM. Definitely. Um, including uh, including a couple that I believe Franchot Tone was in. With them. Be a little awkward, right? Yeah, it would be. Maybe they were all okay with it. Who knows? I don't know. I mean, I feel like everyone was so pretty back then. Yeah, it's like it didn't really probably matter. all slept with each other. Like, whenever you hear about, like, you know, the Cary Grant 
rumors and and whatnot. But you know, he also clearly was with women as well. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like, well, yeah. I mean, like he was if. He was pretty. He could have sex with anybody. Totally. You know what I mean? <laughs> Men, women, they're all throwing themselves I mean, like, they at him. Same with Clark Gable. Catherine Hepburn. And he also, you know, you had this um, almost kind of like daydream kind of amazing world that they're creating at MGM with this studio. You have all the, the actors all work there. All their trailers are there. They're all making amazing movies. So, you know, they're all probably working on such a high that... It just kind of happens naturally that they're all also going to probably get involved with each other. Well, I mean, I've got to imagine that those old studios, um, I mean, even like, honestly, like we both work, um, I worked, you work mm-hmm. at a, uh, at a, a, at a studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was the, especially the case when I was at Warner Brothers too, when I was on the lot a little bit more than we get to be at Universal. Yeah. Um, there is like a college campus feel about it sure and i can imagine that was like 10 times 100 times as much that when you everybody was clocking nine nine to five or probably longer hours than (laughs) nine to five but um they were clocking in and out every single day like six days a week often at uh at the studio and it was not just um I, i mean like the only people you think of as being permanent on a studio lot in case anyone's wondering what a studio lot is like nowadays, the only people that are really permanent on a lot are like um, are like the administrative people and security, and totally. and and you know a few departments here and there that are part of the studio operations. Right. But the way a studio lot is run today is so separate from the way the studio as a business is run. Yes. Um, the studio lots like a separate entity and, um, even people who are part of a universal production have to rent out stages from universal. Mm -hmm. They don't get them just because they're a universal production. So at this point in time, it was vertical integration. It was all in one place and it was a, it was a lot that existed only to make movies to put in theaters that the studio owned. Totally. And so everybody was working with a common goal, kind of, and everyone was under contract. I mean, like, it feels like that world must have been so... I mean, like, can you imagine? Like, that was... It was a world unto its own. Exactly. And, like, just so magical, too. You know, I mean, they're they're creating such amazing works of art, and they're doing it together. And it, it, when you get a bunch of artistic people together and they make amazing projects... You're just gonna be in uh, in a really good mood, you know. Yeah, it's just I, gonna make you happy because you're all doing what you love, and uh, well, the audience and the public is loving it too. Unless you know? you're Betty Davis, so. unless you're well, she just and, like to fight, <laughs> <laughs> and they're putting you in movies you don't want to do. And very, you're like, very blah, true, blah, blah. very true. I will on the subject of Betty Davis after she won this Oscar. Not long after she won the Oscar in 1936, she ended up. Uh, Walking out on her contract at Warner Brothers. Yes, she did. Um, what in, a badass. In 1936-37, uh, she has this whole court case that is tried in England because she f- fled to England to make movies in Europe. Because she, she signed a contract without the consent of the studio she was under contract to. She hated to. Jack Warner so much that she traveled across an ocean to, to get away from him. him. Like, what does that tell you And then about he that came man? across that ocean and testified against her in court, in a British court. She lost the case, but apparently... She and she, like, came back defeated, but then she got there, and 
she never made that she made high quality movies for the rest of her time at Warner Bros. because she earned their respect. Totally. And you it's know? a little sad that it had to take that much for her to gain the respect of these big And that's all she producers. wanted. It wasn't money for her. Totally. It no, was she, she wanted to make high quality movies. Because she knew that that's what she deserved. I mean, she yeah. was arguably the greatest actress during that time. She deserved the better pictures. She she did. And she does uh, she does get them after she wins this Oscar combined with it's like she won the Oscar yes. and then they offered her a movie. They told her to report to set for a movie where she had to play a female lumberjack. And she was like, Jesus. <laughs> she was like, no. And they're like, but we're going to shoot it in Technicolor. And she's like, that's cool. Bye. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care if I'm in color and black and white. I'm not doing this movie. That's so funny. That's so funny. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, back to Mutiny. Um, Mutiny on the Bounty was remade a couple of times. Yes, it was. Um, this is, as I said, a popular story in folklore. This particular version was based on a novel, and it's apparently very faithful to the novel, but the novel does take a lot of liberties with what happened in real life. Sure. Um, although you kind of get the gist of the idea of the mutiny in this one. Uh, it was remade as Mutiny on the Bounty, again, also nominated for Best Picture. We'll end up talking about it in 1962. Um, with Marlon Brando yes. playing Fletcher Christian, Terrence Howard played Captain Bly. And then in the 80s, it was remade. Um, I don't think it was as big of a critical success when it was remade in the 80s, but apparently it was the most historically accurate of all of them. Um, the most faithful adaptation. Mm-hmm. And it was just called The Bounty. And it yes. starred uh, Mel Gibson as Fletcher Christian and Anthony... Uh, Hopkins is Captain Bly. Ooh, and that sounds like an amazing pairing, honestly. Mainly mm-hmm. just Anthony Hopkins. He can do no wrong. Yeah, Mel Gibson, like, you know. Yeah, you know, take it or leave it. But um, Anthony Hopkins would be an amazing Captain oh, Bly. Oh, no, that sounds like really good casting to make. That does sound good. But it, it didn't make a lot of money, and it, it <laughs> was the funny. only of the three that was a flop. Mm. So um, Maybe because they called it The Bounty and not Mutant in the Bounty, and I nobody knew what it was. And they were like... The, the bounty, like oh, what, the bounty. what is that? Um, <laughs> but the ship from the 1962 version apparently survived as a kind of tourist attraction that went all the way around the world all the time. Like wow. it was an exact replica of the real one, and then it sunk in Hurricane Sandy. Well, damn. So now it's like in the bottom of the ocean. Well, there you go. I don't know what the happened Titanic. to the ship they made for this movie, but it's clearly a real ship. Yes, very clearly. Yeah. Which is probably where most of their budget went to. I mean, like... <laughs> I would imagine. I kept thinking that the whole time I was watching. It was like, money, money. There's money everywhere money in this movie. Money everywhere. <laughs> they're like, they're like and no also, expense like, spared. This movie also does not shy away from violence and, like, gore. I mean, when we talked about how Captain Bly was... Yes, when we talk about Captain Bly was like very nasty in this uh, film version, he is nasty. He does awful things. Awful things. When so the... I totally get it. I'm like, I, I am on Clark Gable's side. Get the hell off that boat. Or get him the hell off the boat. I'm like on his side, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, this performance is so good. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. But there's something, whenever they overtake the ship, they like stab through the hand. Yeah. One of the um, people who's a loyalist to Captain Bly. Yeah. And they just stab his hand and it like goes against a piece of like a wood pillar or something. And there's just like blood gushing out of his hand. And it's a little, it's more violent than what you usually see. Definitely. It was, yeah. it was a lot more violent than I was expecting to see, mm-hmm. um, you know, in an earlier movie. Um, but again, as you mentioned before, even as nasty as Captain Bly is as a character, Charles Lawton does still find 
really awesome moments of humanity. Like, just getting the loyalists who were with him on the little boat back to Britain and how he's, like, you know, talking them up. And you can see where he is a really good captain. Yeah. He does um, have the respect of yeah. a lot of these crew members, and they they will follow his every word. So you, you see the power there, too. There's also, like, I was... It's funny you should mention that scene, because when I was watching those scenes, I was thinking, like, he's... I, like, I'm more sympathetic to him now absolutely and i feel like i was actually like even though he is like the villain of Mm -hmm. the movie and he was listed on the afi list of the top 50 screen villains was he really yeah yeah oh i didn't know that good yeah this movie was also in the 1998 version of the top 100 it didn't make the 2007 list though that makes sense um but uh I found myself thinking, like, but I do see both sides to this. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? Which is, that is the mark of a good performance, is as awful a person as he is, but you can still make me care about you a little bit, mm-hmm. you're doing your job. I think it helps that they have, that Franchot Tone's character is also on the fence the Very whole movie. Very true, yeah. Um, oh, Captain Bly was the number 19 villain. Wow, that's um, really, like, far down there, too. Yeah, and it was number 86 on the 98 list oh, for good. top 100 movies, so. Yeah, um, that seems about right. Interestingly, though, I don't see any evidence that this one's been put into the National Film Registry. Oh, which, uh, I feel like we maybe should start a campaign for that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, definitely. I Because uh, it's a Best Picture winner, and it, deserve, and it deserves it. There's also a lot of shirtlessness. I mean, like, can, there we, really is. can we discuss, like... I'm, I will say, as as pointless as I felt all the scenes on the island were, it just, you know, it, to me it was kind of way too long of a break between the action going on. It was very fun to see <laughs> these handsome gentlemen just shirtless on a beach drinking coconut milk or whatever they were drinking. <laughs> I do enjoy this time of shirtlessness that exists, like before abs were, were common. Oh, true. Yeah. It's you like, know, these are men. You before, know? before, uh, over the counter supplements and whatnot were oh as easily accessible and people just kind of accepted, uh, a normal fit body is, yes. as something a man should look like. Definitely. We have it much harder these days. I just want to let everyone know. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Clark Gable, very, very fit, but he's he doesn't look like that. He doesn't note. have big packs. He doesn't no, have... No, he doesn't have, like, an eight-pack and, like, all these ridiculous... You know what I mean? It's like, he just... But he looks like a man, and he's so sexy. Yeah. Uh, um, excuse us. Excuse it. We're gonna go Ooh. take a break. I'm gonna fan myself out. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. Anyway, I highly recommend this movie. Definitely. I yes. Go out and see it. Um, you can find it anywhere. I rented it on YouTube. Like you can find it very easily for very cheap. I agree with it. Winning best picture too. Absolutely. hundred yes. percent. Um, what do we have next week? Next week we are dealing with another MGM right. movie. It is. Um, <laughs> The Great Ziegfeld. The Great Ziegfeld, which I have not seen. Have you seen it? I have. You have seen, seen it. Before. Okay. Uh, it's been a while, so this will be like a memory refresh for me. Fair. I remember um, not feeling rather ambivalent. Sure. So about we'll it. see if that kind of like neither here nor there. Yeah, I'll see if that is retained. Let's do it. So um, we'll see if I enjoy it. Another big musical. We're getting a lot of those. There's, we we've only just begun. We really, honestly, yeah, <laughs> it is. You will see. It, it does become a very popular movie when it comes to Oscar consideration. Yeah, the musical. This is a. We don't have another one until like mid forties. I don't think going my way will be the next. Oh one. sure, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and then we get a bunch in the fifties and sixties. Bunch in the fifties and sixties. Yeah, sure. yeah. 
Anyway, but uh, we will hear you guys, listen to you guys, see you guys. I don't know. We'll join you. <laughs> we'll join you again next we'll week. We'll talk at you next week. <laughs> uh, that's, that's fitting. <laughs>